0: Welcome to the Wolf Whistle, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to the 55th edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast which interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. We are going stateside today to the other side of the world, and we're very lucky to be joined by Alan Hinton. 75 appearances for the Wolves and 29 goals between 1961 and 1964. Alan,
1: how are you? I'm fine. Uh, It's rainy season here, so uh, it's rainy season in Seattle, but apart from that, we're isolated in many ways, but... uh,
0: Living the dream, Alan. That's brilliant. So now, obviously, I want to talk about that in a short while. So now you've been in America for a few years, and if any of you listeners are on Twitter, I know Alan is um, a very prevalent tweeter, and I'm sure you've you've obviously. You know, I had lots of contact with him over the years. Um, so, Alan, I uh, just before the interview, you told me you had a very, very good memory. So we're going to test it now because you was born in Wensbury in 1942, which by my maths makes you, I think, 70, 80 it is. Um So, which who who did you support growing up? Because born in Wensbury, you're actually in between Wolves and West Brom
1: my uh, my best mate in school was a guy named Roy Morley. Yeah. And we went to Wensbury St. Bart's uh, school and we played football in the in the schoolyard uh every day and the brick walls were great because the ball comes back to you. Yeah. And strangely strangely in those days it was one week wolves and it was one week West Brom. Yeah. And we really supported them both, which is unusual today, but we just loved the game so much, and we loved both the teams and we collected autographs and we collected beer bottles to take them back to the uh, off license to get a little bit of pocket money. Wow, uh, but one of the funniest things I did well, we did were and I we'd meet the wolf fans at the at the at the railway station, yeah, because they they'd all come in by train in those days, yes. We we came up with a plan uh, to ask if they'd got any programmes. Yeah. Fans and in the end we had little uh, uh, addressed uh, bits of paper which we'd give to the fans and say, Mister, would you send me a programme? And uh, yeah. One guy from Portsmouth actually, T. O. Lyons, his name was.
0: Yeah.
1: Sent me programmes every week. Wow. And, and, in fact, he also sent me England programmes because he was a huge soccer fan, football fan, and he'd watch England play, and he'd always send me a programme. Every week on a Monday morning, I'd rush home to see if the mailman had come, and uh, oh. T.O. Lyons never let me
0: down. I mean, that's a lovely story, Alan. Did, did this man know that you actually went on to have a career in professional football?
1: He, he, oh, he had no idea. But, but I'll tell you what happened as a follow-up. We played at Tottenham one day. Yeah, invited T.O. Lyons and his his family to to watch the game uh, with me playing at uh, in London at, at Tottenham. And uh, wow, I met them. and it was a wonderful occasion because this man didn't send me programmes thinking I was going to be a soccer player. Of course, he had no clue.
0: Ah, oh, Alan. Stories like that are really, really special. Um, and you know that's lovely that someone can, you know, you you have just obviously asked him for a few programmes, and next thing you know, he's giving up his time and money to help. And I think that's that's a lovely story. So, Alan, you started at the Wolves, I believe, in nineteen fifty nine. Um, I mean, how did you actually get spotted uh, by the club, and you know, uh, come to progress to sixty one where you made your debut?
1: Well, what happened is Southeast Staffordshire Boys, which is the uh, select uh, team, if you like,
0: yeah.
1: uh, played on Saturday morning always. Yes. And there was always a lot of scouts there, uh, mainly part timers who did it for love, I suppose, in those days. But whenever we played for Southeast Staffordshire Boys, which was like the district team, the scouts used to come, and I guess uh, they, they they decided I was going to be a player, and uh, I think I had seven offers. Okay. Uh, Manchester City was one of them.
0: Yeah.
1: My dad said, you're not going there, son. You're not leaving home at 15 years of age. <laughs> uh, you're not ready. And uh, so I signed for Wolves, and I was actually on the ground staff for a couple of years. Yeah. professional is the modern term today, but... They were great days, and I have to tell you that the, the, the senior Wolf Plaza, who were my heroes, were absolutely fantastic. Down to earth, uh, no agents, uh, just we'd all go to the coffee shop or, or later on when I was a pro. Yeah. Uh, We'd go to Queen's Square, I think it is, in uh, in yes. in the middle of Wolverhampton. Yeah, there was a big coffee shop there, the Co-op. Yeah, and we used to sit there, and some of the players would smoke, and uh, it, it was just growing up time uh, to be uh, to try to be a professional soccer player.
0: I mean, what's amazing about that is, Alan. Obviously, you know, growing up, you, you're obviously switching between Wolves and West Brom. You're revering your heroes. And in the 50s, obviously, Wolves were a very, very successful club. You actually made your debut under Stan Cullis, I believe, in 1961 against Huddersfield Town in the FA Cup. And some of the players that played that day, Peter Broadbent, Eddie Clamp, Norman Dealey, Ted Farmer. I mean, what? I mean, you must be pinching yourself to obviously be in a changing room with these people, you know, uh, and these players who you actually revered.
1: Well, they've made me so welcome and... Uh... There's one great story, which will be in my book about uh, uh, there was obviously Wolves always had a lot of kids on the on the, the practice level. And uh, yes. I remember one day Bill Shorthouse, who was a big ally for me, former t- uh, top player. Yeah, uh, he called me over and he said, Alan, you don't seem to really like it when the players are having fun with you. And I said, no, nah, Bill, they're taking the mickey out of me. I don't like it much. He said, "Let me tell you why they're doing it." He said, "They're doing it because they think you're going to be a top player." So, all oh, and that made me feel very happy. And uh, wow. but it was it was little things like that in those days, little bits of advice out across the ball from Jimmy Mullen and uh, Joe Gardner making us. Uh, Joe Gardner once told me, "He says you're faster than you think." What a lovely thing to say. Uh, and
0: from, uh, from your point of view, Alan, as a young man coming into the game, comments like that must instill you with such confidence.
1: Well, well I think... I, I did that a lot when I was coaching. You, you pass the player on the fly. Yeah. You don't stop and have a 20-minute conversation and watch a video and get all these statistics from these drones and everything. It's just a one-word or two-sentence conversation that makes you think. yes. And, and and to be fair, if you can't think in today's game, you can't play. Yeah. So your mind has to be sharp, and it needs to be educated with little snippets, you know. Yes. And, and the Wolves were at their best doing that. And, I mean, you, as, a, as a
0: young player coming into the game, you know, you can learn no better, uh, you know, off, off Stan Kullis, You know, he'd, he'd won everything, um, at Wolves, so, so what's it like to make your debut under a manager like Stan Cullis and what sort of relationship did you have with him, Alan?
1: Well, to be fair, uh, he was a bit of a bully, right? Uh, and he was very, very successful, of course, and we all uh, loved those times when he was a pioneer, taking us or taking the Wolves before me into yes. into. So-called hostile territory, like uh, playing uh, Moscow Dynamo and yes. uh, uh, Moscow Spartak. I mean, you know, the relationship between Britain and uh, and Russia were not great in those days. But yes. but the police went ahead with that, and it was it was a prologue, a prologue before uh, the Champions League in many ways, because you know, Wolves were real pioneers, and I remember going to play in uh, uh, Hungary. Yeah. Uh, against uh, the great Honved and Honved coming to the Wolves. And there's uh, wow. <laughs> no question about it. Honved were a top team with Pushkas. My my friend and I, Roy Morley, we, we snuck into the Victoria Hotel and we got the autographs of Pushkas and Itiguti and Grossich And wow. uh, oh, we were cheeky little beggars in those days <laughs> and uh, autographs. And, and you know what happened? My mom, my mum gave my book away
0: <laughs> I mean, she gave my damn book away i mean alan what's it like you know it's funny because you're there as a young man getting autographs what's it like then to be you know uh, you made your debut i believe in fact i'll have to work this out uh you made your debut as a 19 as a year old what's it like for then supporters and fans to get you signing pictures and autograph books
1: it was a bit uh, overwhelming uh, because I was the one who wanted the autographs of the, the, the all the players on the team who were <laughs> world superstars. really. Uh, and uh, the one thing we did in our day, we'd, we'd sign our full name. Yes, yes. You could read our name. Today they just put initials. Yeah, and
0: squiggles and, and uh, all sorts.
1: Or, or their number.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I, I, don't, I don't care much for that because I just, just don't. Uh, yeah but but you know the the relationship i used to go on the bus to the wolves from wensbury wow. me and johnny cook and we we go on the bus and all, we all the fans on the bus were our mates see and uh, if we didn't play if we didn't play very well we wouldn't go on the bus <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: that's the difference now, isn't it? I think, you know, the, the average working man is so far removed from a professional footballer, it's untrue, but back in those days, you know, you were one of them and vice versa, so you're getting on a bus with with the supporters who, you know, you were like the working man, but like you said, it wasn't safe to catch the bus on, was it, if you'd had a bad game?
1: Well, I think it's, it's the same with the, the pubs. I mean, when I was, you know, and in, in, uh, living in Wensbury, I mean, there were several pubs we'd go to, and then uh, later on at Derby, we we were always in the pubs in a nice little village after I got married. But uh, yeah, uh, now the, the, the fans today, I mean, to be fair, the Wolves, it's just wonderful watching them play, and uh, yes. uh, and and, and struggling, but at, at the end of the day. Uh, we got to get the fans back. Yeah, there are,
0: uh, yeah. I think with with the pandemic at the minute, it is very difficult. Um, but obviously, I think we're all missing football, and it, it certainly isn't the same watching it on the television. Um, I mean, in in nineteen sixty two, nineteen sixty three. What's very interesting? So, literally, you made your debut in nineteen sixty one. Alan sixty two, sixty three. You finished the league as, as top scorer at Wolves with nineteen goals as a winger what 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 was your secret in terms of scoring that many goals uh, you know from a wide position?
1: Well,, the wolves made me a 2 footed player. right. And you know, even today i I try to think if there's anybody that took a left- wing corner with that right foot, which was me. Yeah. And took the right wing corners with their left foot, which was me. I don't know any other player that did that. Right. But the fact that I had such a good right foot, and I didn't... uh, Originally, I wasn't a winger. Right. Uh, And Stan Cullis made me into a left winger because I wasn't very big, and he said, you're going to get hammered too much in the middle. In addition, he put me on the left wing when I was a, a right footy player. So... As my left foot got stronger and stronger and stronger, it was not too difficult to, put, uh, to dribble inside and smack it with my right foot. And I've, yes. I, you know, a lot of them are on YouTube, and I'm very thankful for that. But, you know, turns out when I used to cut in on my right foot, I could really hammer the ball. And uh, yeah. I didn't go much for curling it all the time, I went for power. And, and I still see modern day players always attempting the perfect goal. Yes. And I'm saying, if you have hammered that sunshine, you might have scored it, you know? Uh, you know? But the Wolves were fantastic in terms of techniques, techniques, techniques. Yes. And then, of course, I was looking to have Peter Broadbent behind me. And he used to sh- shake his hips, go by the midfield player. On you go, Alan, off you go. And uh, it was a great joy to play with him and uh, Ron Flowers and Bill Slater and Jimmy Murray and Ted Palmer and, of course, Terry Wharton, my mate. Terry Wharton? Terry Wharton, Wharton, even today, remembers my goals more than I I do. To be honest, Alan, I... I I, I remember his. I, I interviewed
0: Terry... Oh, when was he? Probably about six months ago. Probably a bit longer. And to be honest, he was like you—an absolute photographic memory. Um, and he said exactly the same. In terms of, he watches the goals back on YouTube now, which is a great, great tool. And it's so nice to, to you know, that, that you've got this window into your past. To, to watch your goals, etc. But he said it's now, he, he you know, it all flew by and it all flashed by and it's only now really he can sit back on his career and go, wow, did I play at Old Trafford? Did I play at Tottenham? Did I play? I mean, it must, must be the same for you, Alan.
1: Well, it, it absolutely is. And I think, you know, when I was coaching uh, and I enjoyed doing that, I used to say to the players particularly in the North American Soccer League where you rarely have the same team the the next season. I used to say, gentlemen, enjoy this season. Enjoy the time together because it will never be the same again or it will change next year. Just enjoy every moment. Enjoy coming to the locker room. Enjoy the the banter in the locker room. Enjoy the travel. Enjoy the games. and Do the best you can and entertain the fans. I've always said... Entertain the fans, and uh, you know, certainly the the, the Wolves fans. I mean, good gracious, what a marvellous group they were!
0: Oh, wow. I mean, we're going to talk about your your move in a minute from your surprise move, I should say, from Wolves. But I mean, those formative years, I mean, it must have been such a special time for you to play for your local club, to play, and and, you know, by the great you revered. Um, and 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 obviously to do so well, it must have been a really special time in your life, Alan.
1: Well, it was a, it, uh, I, I loved it to, with my mum and dad. You know, yeah. Uh, my mum and dad were real ordinary folk. We never owned a home. We never had a car. But all of a sudden, I'm 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 the star of the show. Like and <laughs> my mum and dad, used to come to the games and get dressed up. And then my dad loved going down the Woodman Pub.
0: Yes, the uh, Woodman.
1: Yeah. Yep, I, uh, and uh, <laughs> he'd love it. He'd sit on the end of the bar, and if people would say, "Hey, Tommy, your boy did a good job today," he would, he would love it. Wow. And, uh But he even, even later on, when we used to, when I was at Nottingham, my dad had to be back at the Woodman uh, to, to talk to his mates about the game. You know?
0: Ah, oh, I mean, look, memories like that, Alan, are priceless. um... Like I said, 62-63, you finished as top scorer. On Twitter, everybody, when I mentioned um, that, that I was interviewing you, it, it had so much interest, but everybody has pretty much said the same thing. There was a surprise move to Forest uh, in in 1964, during the actual 63-64 season, in a in a very strange swap deal with a player called Dick Lafemme, who come to Wolves and never really settled, to be honest, and he was gone after a season. So... Really, Alan, how did you hear about the move? Uh, was it a shock and was you sad to leave Wolves? It, it was a,
1: a terrible shock uh, <clears throat> because uh, I, I actually did something which I'll go into detail in my book. Yeah. Uh, what happened was I loved playing on the far side of Molyneux and I still... I still see it now when I watch the Wolves play because it's the same field and I still look across the far side and I go, wow, they were happy days with those fans. And, uh, yeah. uh, but what happened is we were getting beat by Forest, and I thought my friends on the, on the far side started to boo and I thought they were booing me. But it turned out they were booing Chris Crow. And I did something awful. I I actually put my two fingers up and I shouldn't have done it.
0: Don't worry about it.
1: Shouldn't have done it. But you know what? Stan Cullis should have given me the opportunity to apologize to the fans. And I would have done. And he wouldn't, he didn't want to know uh, my, my side of the story. And, uh, all he said to me on the Friday, you're not playing tomorrow. Uh, Johnny Carey wants to talk to you from Nottingham Forest. And I said, I don't want to talk to him. I'm staying here. So over the weekend with, with my, uh, uh, my future wife, Joy, and my mom and dad and friends, we had a good talk. And the conclusion was, College doesn't want me anymore. So I met with Johnny Carey on the Monday afternoon, Gentleman John, a wonderful, nice, gentleman and uh, and I signed for Nottingham Forest, but uh, it, sh- it should never happened. but it worked out well for me, because Forest was good, I had three or four years that were wonderful there, and then of course I went to Derby, and the rest is history, but I, I would never have left the walls, it was my club, you know?
0: I mean, Alan, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know that story. Um, and someone put on Twitter today something about the crowd booing and I, I, I didn't really pay much attention to it. And these, this is what I like to do, because I do a bit of research before the interviews, but it's something like that which I find really interesting. So as a young man, obviously, you, you're passionate, you, you're playing for your club that you love. And if there's a section of the crowd booing... As you're, like I said, a passionate player, it's easy to get caught up in the moment when you've got crowds of 40 and 50,000. And as a young man, you've done something which now you clearly regret. Um, but I, I can understand why you did it, Alan. And I think you're quite right in as much as Stan Cullis really should have given you the opportunity to, to either apologise or to, to, you know, just to give you another opportunity at the Because It seems like a very rash decision, especially for Wolves when they lost such a good player
1: well I think in those days I mean you know Collis was a bully I mean he used to but the, the, the big deal is most of us players have been raised uh, after world War two and uh, yeah there wasn't a lot of really good things going on of course. Not, not much money around not um, ordinary living accommodations no cars buses were popular and trains yes but i think the attitude i had and i know many others did was i'll show you boss i'll show you yeah you know you can as much stick as you like but i want to play and i'm going to show you and i think college knew that yes and uh, but but that kind of stuff today wouldn't last five minutes. The player'd say, "I'm not going to play for you anymore. Uh, but deal with my agent." Yeah, and the agent loved those scenarios because they make more money. I mean, so
0: yeah, it's a different. It, it, I think it's more about player power now. Whereas back then, Alan, um, the managers were the, the gaffers. The final say was theirs, and it looked like Stan Collis called time on your career for that little incident. And that's such a shame because she was a young man at the time, just twenty-two.
1: Yep. Well, it was, it was, you know, I, I uh, and then Chris Crow uh, also came to Forest, and uh, he was a good friend. Yeah. Uh, there was a young kid in Wolverhampton named Vic Povey, who they they, they traded to Notts County, so I used to travel with him as well. And, we, you know, the three of us would go in one car and we'd laugh and joke and uh, uh, it turned out to be a very good move, and of course, when the when the fixtures came out for the next year, the first one I looked at was shoot. I'm going back to play at Wolves on such and such a date. Yes, and I was I was actually very nervous about that. But you know what, my my pals on the far side, you know what they did? Go on. They they gave me a standing ovation.
0: Oh wow!
1: And my legs were shaking. And I was playing against Bobby Thompson, who was a difficult player to play against. And uh, I don't remember much about the game, but I do remember the fans being very gracious and kind to me. And uh, uh, I've never forgot that.
0: And, and that's nice, Alan, because like, once again, you must have been really nervous. And, you know, to, to go back and, and to get that, you know, get the plaudits really, you know, for a young man is very important. They didn't start booing Chris Crow again, did they?
1: No, 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 no. I mean, Crowe. if you look at uh, Chris Crowe's career, he had a magnificent career. Yes, uh, yes. In terms of games. and, uh, But you know what? He could have done better. He had so much skill. He could have done better. Uh, and that's a compliment because, you know, he. he I used to get some, some goals in my head again. Playing with Chris because I knew when he went down the right wing, he couldn't reach the far post; he couldn't reach it. So I used to run near post, and I got a couple of goals. But you know, Chris was a very fine guy. I think he's gone now, sadly. No. Uh, he, he, he used to have a he, he used to have a pair of black shoes. Yeah, and he used to he used to spit on it on a handkerchief and rub the shoes so they shine like when he was in the army, and. uh he he was he was a very interesting man and uh, uh, no he was he was a good guy Chris.
0: Oh, I mean memories like that, Alan. Obviously, as you know, last an absolute lifetime. When you was at Wolves, um, and and I've just it's right. I've I've got my stats in front of me, and I didn't realise you won your England caps when you was at Wolves. Three caps for England. One goal. You made your debut on the third of October, nineteen sixty-two, versus France. Um, at the time, you are literally 20 years of age. What? Yep. What is that like, Alan, to, to represent your country at full honours?
1: Well, what happened is Chris Crow and Ron Flowers were in that team and we drove together in Ron's car because he was the only one who had a car yeah. to Sheffield. And, uh, he, you know, it, it, it was not an easy game for me because Jimmy Greaves, who was a wonderful player, uh Wanted to play ahead of me. Well, I, it didn't work for me when people. I wanted people behind me to feed me. Yes. Uh, but Jimmy Greaves was always ahead, which meant I had to play deeper. And Bobby Moore kept calling me inside, and uh, uh, that wasn't my that wasn't my game. But I was very thrilled to get, and I've still got the cap. Wow. Uh, it was against France. Yeah. Uh, I was almost twenty, not quite twenty, but um, wow. That, I was very nervous in that game, by the way. And, uh, uh, you know, I think the score was 1-1. The, 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 the thing I remember most about that game is the Sheffield crowd were booing Maurice Norman. Right. Because they wanted Joe Shaw in there, who was a very popular Sheffield United player. Oh, right. Uh, and they were booing Maurice Norman. but And then after the game... It was customary in those days for uh, both the teams to go f- for a, a, a dinner together, and, and with speeches and everything. And uh, uh, Walter Winterbottom, it was his last game, and and, and he keeps drinking this beer. It's it, they, they kept bringing jugs of beer, and Walter, you could see he was having a little bit too much. Yeah, and, uh, he said to Crowley, he says, "Chris, I'd love to have you at my club." And Crowley said, but Walter, you don't have a club. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, you know, in the end, I mean, we were all down to earth. Yes. Regular guys, uh, walk to the bus stop, say hello to the neighbours, enjoy being with the fans. And I was very lucky to be a Wolf player at the beginning of my career and, uh, uh, I still love watching them now, and uh, the progress the club has made. And uh, oh.
0: well, listen, it, Alan. It, listen, believe me, you are a, you are a very big, you know, big, big, big part of Wolves' history, and and you know we appreciate obviously everything you've done for the club. You after you was three years at Furry sixty four to sixty seven, and and then really I, th- I think you, you had a fantastic move to Derby County. Um, you actually won the league twice. In 71-72 and 74-75 Really against the odds uh, I mean What was uh, The obvious question Is what was Brian Clough Like to
1: play for? Well He, he was also a bully But I would call him A nice bully <laughs> uh, Collis Colish was not a nice bully But did get the best results But Yes uh, He Had a real Real Top Personality And uh, He'd wind up players every day and uh, I remember when I first got there his mission was to get me back to what I used to be. Yes, uh, But I, I did have some injury problems which I didn't tell anybody about and uh, it took me a while but they started telling everybody get the ball to Alan. Alan, get on the flipping sidelines. Yeah, Stay wide. Uh, and all the... Uh, all the praise in the world must have driven some of the other players crazy. But when I started to play well, wow, the team, the team really, and, and Clough and Taylor, they should never have left Derby County Football Club. It yeah. was the power play with the owner. It was a small owner, Sam Longson. And all they had to do at Derby was to say, Mr. Clough, Mr. Taylor, uh, we're going to double your wages. Yes. And they—they they both like money because they were trying to make themselves independently wealthy, which yeah. they eventually did. But at the time, they were trying to make as much money as they can. But
0: yeah.
1: I think Sam Longson was in, influenced by the FA. You were trying to tell Cluffy to shut up. <laughs> uh, Cluffy, all he cared about was Derby County Football Club. Yeah. He, he, he promoted the team. All the media wanted to be at the baseball ground. You know why? Go on. Because he'd beat them, he'd feed them, he'd give them a couple of drinks. Yeah. And then he'd tell them stories. I remember one day, the media said, he said to the media, Have you got much going today? And they said, No, it's a quiet day, boss. You know what he said? I'll give you one. He said, I'm trying to sign for Derby County Football Club, Bobby Moore. Of course, the media loved it because it was all over the newspaper. Now, now Brian knew the only person that wouldn't want that was uh, Greenwood, the manager. Yes. But, but Bobby loved it. Uh, the fans at Derby loved it. And they bought more and more season tickets. And we had more and more fun. And then, of course, he bought in the great Dave Mackay. Yes. Uh, who was a remarkable man remarkable player, remarkable personality uh, and, and and didn't get as much credit as he should have done for rebuilding the team, if you like, 74-75 and into Division One again. That was uh, uh, Premier League. I mean, amazing.
0: To be honest, Alan, that,
1: that was, you
0: know, two... Fantastic um, You know League title victories And actually uh, That That takes me to Brian Clough actually Left Derby for Leeds Didn't he at the time Which you know Ended up really Turning quite farcical And I think He should have really Stopped at Derby And carried on his work there Because he was doing A great job
1: The the problem was he, he You know He was an ordinary Working He was from An ordinary Working class family Like we all were In those days Yeah and he hated hierarchy. He hated the bosses. Yeah, he hated them, especially the ones that had no no talent. That that just whatever reasons they got into these positions of power. He just he just he just hated uh, yeah. people telling him what to do. And uh, he knew he was putting people in the in the stands. He knew he was getting all the publicity for the for the city and for the for the team. He knew. That he and Pete Taylor were invincible and uh, kept signing all this talent for not, not much money and he knew he was the boss well he was the boss but he wasn't in the in the, in, the, in the boardroom yes and they tried to, to boss him around well the man who rescued the whole thing actually was Stuart Webb. Stuart Webb was like the general manager, so yes. Stewart was the buffer between the board and Cluffy and the fans. Yes, and Stewart conducted himself like a real professional uh, uh, in everything he did, and uh, kept it going as long as uh, as long as he could. It was a terrible blow when they resigned. Yeah, we just. Just beaten Manchester United one nothing uh, at uh, Old Trafford. Uh, Kevin Hector scored, and we were waiting on the bus, and we didn't care because we knew Pete and Brian had be smoozing it with uh, uh, Matt Busby and, and having a little, having a few drinks. Smart, and uh, and then all of a sudden, Jack Kirkland, one of the directors, who was quite hard nosed confronted Peter and said, uh, can we meet on Monday and you tell me what you do for Derby County Football Club? Now, Peter, it was a very sensitive man. I knew Peter probably more than anybody. Uh, He he couldn't handle it. And and I don't blame him for that. Uh, Jack Kirkland should have kept his mouth shut. Uh, But he was trying to be... uh, Bossy like he was at his company, and uh, yeah, uh, the, and then of course there was marching in the streets, and uh, I wrote on behalf of the players uh, a handwritten letter, which apparently just sold at auction for eight thousand pounds. All right, a uh, letter of resignation signed by every player, and, almost uh, a
0: revolt, Alan. Uh, Excuse me? O- almost a players' revolt. You know, just obviously tendering your resignation because of, of what had happened to the management.
1: Well, we, were, we said the, the, the game the next Saturday was against Leicester. Yeah. And we said, as a group, everybody was in, all the players, we're going to Mallorca, we're not going to play next Saturday. <laughs> unless, you, unless you reinstate Club and Taylor. Yeah. And, and, and uh, there's much more to that, but, uh, you wow.
0: know. I mean, Alan, I'm, I'm sure all that's in your book. Uh, uh, one thing I was going to ask Alan, um, there's a lot of teams that played at the baseball ground in the 70s, a lot of Wolves teams. Um, Kenny Ubbett, I remember doing his podcast, and he told me how bad the pitch was. I mean, it was okay. a bit of a, it was a, it was an awful pitch one, especially for the away teams to play on, Alan. I bet you got used to it, but it could get really boggy, couldn't it?
1: Well, we knew every little, we knew every little mud pole, mud mud hole, and uh, <laughs> I, I always loved little Archie Gamble, who could he skipped over the mud. His his shoe would sometimes come off in the mud, and he'd just put it back on again. And uh, but no, I mean there were times when they watered the grass. They watered the fields, not the grass. There was no grass after November. What <laughs> was going uh, say? I, I, there's a there's a game on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, against the Wolves, and I, I think I scored a penalty kick to win the game. But uh, it, it was it's terrible uh, the the field. But Pete Taylor used to wait in the corridor for the other teams, you know, and he'd say, "Sorry about the field," uh, <laughs> and especially those London boys, they didn't like it with their posh shoes on. They didn't like going on the field in the mud either before the game.
0: Flooping neck. I bet they didn't. I, I mean, I, I've seen some of the videos on YouTube. I mean, Kenny Hibbett told me that he went to take a penalty on there and he said he couldn't see the ball for mud. <laughs> 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 Brilliant now. Brian, uh, Brian. Bloody. I'm looking at my notes. Alan, what's What's interesting is you then left. Um, you then left England and you left the mud of Derby and you, you did a bit in the non-league. And then you went to America in 1977 and... And uh, I I believe, unless you correct me, that's been your home ever since.
1: Well, uh, what happened was, you know, my career was coming to an end. Yeah. Uh, You know, you can tell when your legs are slowing down and uh, as much as I didn't depend on running around for a living, I could still execute the ball, cross the ball, but we we had a tragedy and 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 the book's going to be called triumphs and tragedies alan hinton's story but the tragedy was our 9 year old son matthew got cancer right and uh, uh, and, and that was a, a total nightmare for the whole family and uh of course. and uh, my career was over at the same time. Dave McKay was the manager. He counted them more for us. Cloughy was great. The players were fantastic. But uh, we we didn't know what to do. Yeah. And in the end, I got an opportunity to come to play uh, in America for the Dallas Tornado, which was we accepted. And... Uh, We'd had a testimonial match, which was wonderful, support from the fans, 25,000. And all the support my family, my wife and daughter got from everybody was so heartwarming that how could we not pick ourselves up as time went by and and, and, and show that we can come back and... uh, You know, I had wonderful support from my wife and uh, daughter and uh, friends and soccer colleagues. And uh, coming to America was clearly the right thing for us. Uh, uh, We were very frightened when we first came, but I I did play well. Uh, And, you know, we're still here 40-something years later. I mean...
0: that, that that Alan is remarkable in itself. That you know you, you went over there and you're still there. And actually, you probably know this, but I believe you set a record for assists in the North American Soccer League, beating Pele
1: and George Best. Yeah, I did. I uh, I played for the Whitecaps. I, I didn't go to play. I went to be assistant coach. Yeah. And I. Played. Tony Waiters, who was the head coach, who had given me that coaching opportunity. But he wanted to bring in Gordon Taylor, yeah, who, who played there the year before. And I said to him bluntly, I said, hey, I'm better than him. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, you better get some weight off and get yourself fit. So I did. And, and in 1978, I did get 30 assists. I actually got 31 but the referee didn't give it, even though the ball went way, way, way over the line and hit the back stanchion yeah. from a corner. But uh, no, the Whitecaps were great days, and uh, you know, so I had two years playing in North America, and and it was it was fun. And uh, and he, then I got into coaching
0: And didn't you, I believe, play with uh, Phil Lofty Parks Good mate of mine And he's obviously been on the podcast And I know he speaks highly of you, Alan Yeah, you played with uh, old Lofty, didn't you?
1: Uh, Lofty was great uh, Lofty uh, was the life and soul of every part He still is Yes Last time I saw him He said uh, We were talking about dementia Which is a big issue
0: Yes Yes, in footballers uh, from your era, it certainly is, Alan. Excuse me. I said, sorry. In footballers from your era, it, it, it's you know, it, it is a big issue, isn't it?
1: It's it, it's huge. And uh, Phil, Phil said to me, he says, "You won't get dementia. You never headed the ball." <laughs> uh, so I started laughing. I said, "No, because I did all the crossing of the ball for the goals." And uh, but but it it is a big issue. But lofty. Yeah. He was wonderful at, at the Whitecaps, yeah. very popular, uh, we had a really good group of players, uh, uh, John Samuels, uh, Stevie Kemba, uh, John Craven, uh, some good Canadian kids, uh, and, and it was a fun year, it was a real fun year. Then I went into coaching after that, I got the head coaching job at the Tulsa Roughnecks, which was also fun. But unfortunately, the, the club didn't have uh, any money, which I wouldn't have gone there if I'd have known that at yes. the time. But but that was fun, and I I I I was able to bring in some Derby County players, and then of course after that I I got the best job in the league, which still is is the Seattle Sounders. Wow! And I was, and then of course my relationship with the Wolves. Yes. You know I got Kenny Hibbert. Steve Daly, yes. Uh, Steve daly's made a lovely tribute to time in Seattle and with me that will be in the book. And uh, Kenny Hibbs also. My, my ghostwriter, writer, the, the great Charles bamforth is a wonderful wolf fan, and uh, he's written several books and does a lot of articles with uh, uh, David Instone, yes, uh, about the wolves. And uh, he's been. Uh, Chasing these former colleagues of mine for quotes, and it's very. And you know what? Nobody's refused to speak. Nobody's refused to say something. And it's it's really. It's going to be a very interesting book for people to read. You know. So what I was going to do,
0: Alan. You know, uh, obviously, I'd like you to speak about the book and and, you know the the reasoning behind writing it, because um, what I'm going to do, obviously, when we release the podcast, I'm going to send people links on where they can buy your book um so how long have you been writing it alan and you know what what sort of content can can we get to see in
1: it well, i think i think we we, we did the uh we, we've been working on it for a good year now yes and we're at the point now where we've just gotta see if we can make it better uh see if we can I mean, Get the imagination of the soccer fans, not just Wolves, Derby, Forest, American, Seattle yes. fans, but I think it'll be a good story, and I think it'll, it it might give some hope to people who've had cancer, like I've had cancer several times and uh, and I'm recovered, uh, I'm cancer free now, which is great. But I'll talk about that as well, uh, and I'll talk about losing a child because there's people who lose a child is it's just the worst thing that can possibly happen and mm-hmm. you know you sit around the dinner table and there's used to be four now there's three and there's an empty chair and uh, but the suffering but I, you know i talk about cancer and basically to try and help people who've got cancer look on the bright side because you know self uh, positivity is is very important when you know like when i had my bladder cancer yeah the doctor said he wanted to take it out i said what are you doing tomorrow doc and uh, you know i've always been I, I don't appear to be a good listener but i really am I th- and
0: uh, i think alan life life shapes you um and you had that that awful, awful tragedy, which must be the worst, worst experience in the world. And, you know, you, you've, you've, you're have you've brave enough now to write about it. And I think by listening to you today, one, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic book with lots of stories. But not only that, I think it's deeper than football. I think it's more than, you know, the great career you had. I think it's a lot deeper than that. Uh, and I think that's why it will resonate with a lot of people and be a fantastic read.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, but I will tell you, the Matthew chapter yes. was very, very hard to write, and my wife uh, was a huge help, but a struggled for her oh, sure. because she remembered a lot of the details and uh, and, and the struggles and uh, uh, anyway, it, it's basically done to make people realize. Yeah. Uh, what a good life we have! So enjoy it while we can, you know. I mean, you're
0: 78 now, Alan. Um, on Twitter, you are like once again very prevalent. You and and what's 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 interesting about you, Alan, and which is what I like in a person is you're not afraid to 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 you know. Uh, put your comments out there, and you're open for debate, and us, you know, uh, which is all fantastic. Um, and you know what? I don't know. Now another seventy-eight year old like your good self, the young man you are, who who is so good on Twitter.
1: Actually, I really enjoy being on Twitter, and I really appreciate the many followers I have. And uh, clearly, I've got a lot of Wolves fans. Yes. Uh, Derby fans, which makes me happy, and uh, uh, the the the, uh, the 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 sports fans in England, the soccer fans in England, are much more uh, active than than the than the fans in America for some mm-hmm. reason or another. I guess it's because we have such a long-standing history of being able to play the best soccer in the world. But uh, uh, no, I enjoy I enjoy Twitter, and uh, uh, sometimes. I get uh, some people just trying to wind me up, and I
0: know that. Oh, Alan, uh, listen, I'll tell you now, mate, there's loads of wind-up merchants on Twitter, and I fell victim to it as well. So, listen, don't, don't you worry about that. You keep being you because you're doing a great job, mate. Uh,
1: but, yeah, well, I appreciate all all, all those comments, and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it. I mean... Uh, it's my contact with the outside world, you know? Yes.
0: Especially and, uh, now, it is difficult, isn't it?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, I mean, the world is crazy right now. I mean, you've got the pandemic. Yeah. you got... You got the people out of work. You got the people who work in the health industry. Uh, I feel very particularly sorry for all the people who work in the restaurant and the service business because let's face it: if you've got a good job in a top restaurant, you get fed, you get fed, yeah. you get a wage, and you get huge tips. They've all gone. Yeah, they, uh, they have. So we've just got to stay together and be strong, and just do what we got to do to to get keep alive.
0: And with positivity, Alan, we'll all do it. On that, on that note, if if uh, if you can look back at your time, uh, and actually, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you two opportunities here. I normally give the the players one opportunity, but ha- as you had such a great career away from Wolves, I, you know, I'll ask you really the same question twice. So, what is your abiding memory? Uh, you know, one memory that you look back on from your time at Wolves that always puts a smile on your face. So what's your abiding memory from Wolves and what's your abiding memory in football?
1: Well, my best memory of Wolves, uh, I have many, and uh, but my warmest memory is Peter Broadbent.
0: Wow, what a player.
1: Pe- And took care of me like he would his own son and I know his son was a top golfer but Peter uh, he and his wife Shirley they actually invited uh, Joey my girlfriend at the time to a a broadband party and I was very very young and I was invited we were invited over many many other players who didn't get invited but uh, Peter was always Modest. Uh, we used to go to the races together. Uh, but what a player! Oh, what man. a player! And uh, you know, I had a conversation with Ted Farmer recently, and he's a—he's as good as gold, and uh, was the bravest player. He was braver than uh, uh, what's his name, Andy uh, Andy Gray, yeah. uh, for me. Head farmer cut his head open one time at Starbridge. I think I crossed the ball and he, he sort of dived and uh, he, he dived into a established player's cleats. But uh, now Peter Broadbent was my, uh, he was the player. Norman Dealy was a great help in a Wensbury boy, same as me yes, and John Coco. Peter Broadbent two goals was, in the cup finals. He was 60. like a god to me.
0: Wow, and and with with obviously your abiding memory of, of football. Look, two league championships, uh, a great career in America. Obviously, the move to Forest. What's your abiding memory from the rest of your career, Alan?
1: Well, I think the encouragement of all sports fans and friends and family, and my own family. Our determination to come through after being on the floor, if you like, after yes. Matthew, uh, is, is very impressive. And I've got three wonderful grandchildren now who are all in college. And uh, my daughter lives about 10 minutes from where we live. Uh, so I am I, very thrilled with the way life has turned out uh, when it looked like the blackest days uh, ever in uh, 1976 when we lost, lost dear Matthew. He was a good soccer player in his own right, And uh, uh, Cloppy was very generous uh, with his support. So with Dave Mackay, so were all the players, so were all the fans. And our lives turned out way, way, way better the dark days of 76 and the recovery of 77 in Dallas. Uh, the coach of Dallas, Al Miller, he actually designated Kenny Cooper, who was a, a, a guy from Blackburn, who was the goalkeeper, to share a room with me. And, and he explained to him, you got to take care of Alan, he's really hurting. And uh, the little details that I found out through writing this book, has been very, very heartwarming and, uh, uh, and and stressful at times, to be honest with Alan, But Alan, uh, I can
0: only imagine, my friend. I can only imagine. Well, Alan, I, I just want to say, um, on behalf of all listeners and, and, and Wolves fans, you know, you've been... People are honest on this podcast, but you have been really, really honest today. You've told me some stories that, that I didn't know. You've also... Um, taught me that, that it's so much more than football and you, you, you've had a real journey in your life and you've come through the other end and you've got a beautiful family and you've all, you've all battled through it so I want to thank you Alan for representing our fantastic club for being such an important part of the history and I want to thank you for your time to down the Wolf Whistle and I genuinely wish you the very very best with your book and I wish you and your family the best uh, in your health and in the future
1: Well Thank you so much. And uh, I'll promote uh, this podcast on my Twitter account as well. So uh, let's keep in touch, okay?
0: You're a good man. Thank you, Alan.
1: All right. You take care now, okay?